today my message is entitled, How to Grow a Money Tree. How many think that sounds intriguing? How many of you would like to grow a money tree? Why are you in luck? Because today you're going to find out. You know, it's interesting that Jesus talked more about money than any other subject other than the kingdom of God. And he had 38 parables, and half of those parables were about money right? The unjust steward and the pearl of great price and the lost coin and the prodigal son and the parable of the talents. And it went on and on and on and on. He talked a lot about money. And it was King Solomon who said this. He said, a feast is for laughter and wine makes one merry, but money answers everything. Boy, that's a pretty strong statement on about the importance of money. And Zig Ziglar, some of you remember him, a motivational speaker. He used to say it this way, money isn't everything. But in terms of importance, it ranks right up there with oxygen. And, and it's kind of true, right? Money is important whether we like it or not, and that's one of the reasons why Jesus talked about it all the time. And when I was growing up, my father's expression, whenever I asked him for anything, was always the same. He always said, do you think money grows on trees? How many had that father? They used that expression. A bunch of you had the same dad as I did. So I knew what his answer was going to be, so I had to come up with my own answers. Now understand I'm a bit of a smart aleck. I don't know if you know that, but it's true. And so I, I knew he was going to say money doesn't grow on trees. So I'd go and I'd ask him for some money, and he says, do you think money grows on trees? And I said, of course not. That's why I'm asking you, right? <laughs> and then one other time I tried this, it didn't work. Uh, I came and he said, do you think money grows on trees? And I said, no, but it's made out of paper, and paper comes from trees, to which my dad, very smart guy, smarter than me, said, Mark, paper is actually made out of cotton. I didn't even know that. Did you know it was made out of cotton? Now they make it out of plastic. That's what it's made out of. So anyway, what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about how to grow a money tree. And you know, you have to decide what kind of money tree you want to plant. And uh, you, there's lots of different trees, right? And so, for example, uh, how many of you want to grow a bonsai, a bonsai tree? If you have a tree like that, it could be hundreds of years old, and it'll produce nickels at best. Or you could grow the redwood, right? Now, I'll tell you why you've come to the right place, because I'm actually an expert in this. And, uh, you know, I know that sounds a bit bold to say that, and immodest, but it's true. I'm actually an ag grad. I don't know if you know that, that that is my background, is agriculture. But not only that, I have probably grown more trees than almost anyone in this room, unless you were a tree planter in BC. And uh, I started growing trees when I was 10 years old. I went on a trip to Sandylands, school trip, field trip, came back with a little spruce tree. I planted that tree. It, uh, I lived two blocks down the street from here. That tree is still there. It's 50 feet high today. I actually know something about it, and I got this passion for growing trees. And this is, this is a true story at our, our summer place that my family has owned for many years. I cleared an entire acre of land from really thick brush using only a chainsaw. And it took me 30 years, by the way. I didn't do it in one summer. It took me 30 years. I repopulated it with various species of trees. So I have grown white pine and red pine and different spruces and birch. I even grew a cottonwood. It was called an Andre the Giant, guaranteed to grow up to seven feet a year. It's 25, 30 years old. It's 100 feet tall. It's almost too big, to be honest with you. So a number of years ago, Kathy and I were on vacation, and we were in San Francisco, and I wanted to go see the great 
old growth forests of California because I'm a tree guy, right? So uh, we went across the Golden Gate Bridge. We went up to Muir uh, Woods. Anybody been to Muir Woods north of San Francisco? A few hands going up in the room. And here's a couple of pictures of it. The trees are spectacular. They're, it's almost enchanted. They're so big. I mean, you can go inside the tree. Look at the size of that fallen one. It's, you know, a couple of feet taller than Kathy. It's, these trees were enormous. And of course, they're not the biggest trees in California. You have to go to the Sierra Nevada to see the biggest ones. And that's where they have the giant sequoias. And the giant sequoia, the biggest in the world, is the General Sherman. This is what it's called. There it is. It's 36 feet in diameter. Just a monster. But where we were, there were the redwoods. The redwoods are taller, but not as wide. And so when we left, they had a gift shop. Who has a gift shop in a forest? But anyway, they had a gift shop in the forest, and, and take a wild stab at it. What do you think they sell in the gift shop? Trees. Well, trees, but more specifically, they sell seeds to trees. And I decided I wanted to grow one of these coast redwoods that they had in this forest. So here it is. Here's the package of it here, the coast redwood. Uh, it's got everything you need to grow this tree. It's got a little bit of soil, a little plastic cup, and the seed. And, and it was only $8. U.S. Of course, that's about thirty dollars Canadian, but but and so I said I said to the guy I said to the guy I said I'm from Canada, can I grow a coast redwood in Canada? And this is what he said. Tell me if this was a sales pitch. He said you can grow these anywhere. And I'm huh. Okay, so I, I, I brought it back and I germinated the seed and I had a big vision. I want you to understand the vision that I had for this. I, I germinated it, I planted it right in the middle of my backyard and I'll tell you why. I actually had a long-term goal for this, a 500-year vision. I imagined that one day, 500 years from now, this tree would be 20 feet across the base. It would be 300 feet tall. My house would be long gone, but people would come from far and wide to see the tallest tree in all of Canada, right here in Winnipeg, in what used to be my yard. There would be a little fence around it, and people would pay an admission, and they would have a name on the tree. It would be the Pastor Mark. And that was my long-term vision for the Coast Redwood I planted in my backyard. So I planted it, and so guess what happened that winter? Yeah, it died. <laughs> you can't grow a redwood in Winnipeg. And so this is important for us to understand. If we're going to be growing a money tree, you've got to pl plant the right tree in the right soil, and then you'll get the right harvest. All right, so are you ready? Let's jump into the verse today. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, and here's what it says. But this I say... He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Wow, there's a lot going on in this one little verse. He is talking about how we can grow a money tree, in case you're wondering what he's saying. 
But I want to drill down immediately, right from the outset, what the ultimate goal of this is. He tells us two things. The objective is twofold. Number one, that you may have sufficiency in all things, that all your needs would be met. How many of you like that idea? That all your needs would be met. So, so that's where he starts. And we know that's true because it says, now my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Notice it doesn't say he will supply all of your greed. It says all of your need. So that's the first thing. And we know that's true, that God, God will give us what is necessary. He will give us our daily bread. That is the promise of scripture. But here's what I want to say. If that is your only goal, just to have your needs met in life, I'm telling you, that's a selfish goal. You say, why is that a selfish goal? That's all I want. I'm a modest man. That's all I want from life. I'll tell you why. Because then you don't have anything for anyone else. And so it's twofold. He says he will cause you to have sufficiency in all things and, and, and an abundance for every good work. He wants you to have an abundance. He wants you to have more than enough, not so that you can spend it on yourself, so that you have something to share with other people. So that when you have to or want to, you can support the gospel, you can support missions, you can help those in need. How many of you think that's a much better goal than having your needs met? Half of you, fantastic, wonderful. <laughs> I know the rest of you meant that too. So I want to tell you a little story about this. Here's why it's so important. There are so many needs around us, so many people in trouble, so many people that need the gospel, so many nations that have not heard about Jesus. And so we heard this morning that our team just came back from Uganda. We sent a dozen people to Uganda. They had this amazing trip. And one of the things they did, they did two medical missions in two remote communities. And it's expensive. It costs us a lot of money. The medical mission alone was $50,000. The doctors volunteered, but you got to get them there. And then you got to set up the tent and set up the clinic and the bandages and the meds and everything else. And it's a very expensive project. And so I'm just going to run, run a couple of uh, pictures of this. This is the medical clinic that they, we just hosted. And uh, what happened was there was 3,500 people lined up to come to the clinic. And there was 400 pairs of glasses given away to people who had eyesight problems, teeth extracted, infections dealt with, wounds dealt with. This picture here is this uh, person being tested for malaria. It was malaria season while our team was there. Now, are you ready for this? 600 of these people actually had malaria. They were in a remote area. They had no access to medical care. There was no clinic, no hospital, and they certainly wouldn't have money to pay for the treatment. Those people all got treated for malaria, and the death rate, the fatality rate, if you contract malaria without medication, are you ready for this, is 100%. All of those people would have died, but because of you and your generosity, 600 people are alive and walking around Uganda today. Not to mention that they heard the gospel as well. And so this is why it's so important for us to understand that it's not good enough for us just to have enough. I know everyone in this room wants to have an abundance for every good work. And the metaphor that Paul uses is sowing and reaping. And in Paul's day, in Jesus' day, they used this term all, all the time because people understood it. It was an agricultural community that you sow a seed, you reap a harvest, and the harvest you receive back is much bigger than the seed you sowed. So they all got it. Got it. They all understood it. 
Today we struggle a bit. We're not really an agricultural community. Let me ask though, how many of you come from a farm background? You, you get, you, you, so a lot of people get this, but most of us not. So I got this great story. There's this city slicker. He decides he's gonna go be a chicken farmer and he's gonna raise chickens. So he buys 50 chicks, they all die. He gets another 50 chicks, they all die. Another 50 chicks, they all die. He doesn't know what he's doing wrong. So he writes the Manitoba Department of Agriculture and he says, dear sirs, please help. I don't know why my chicks are all dying. Am I planting them too deep or too close together? <laughs> to which the department wrote him back and said, sir, we cannot answer that question without first seeing a soil sample. <laughs> so here's what we're gonna do today. We are gonna talk about how you grow a money tree. I've got three quick points. I'm gonna spend most of my time on the first one. Here they are. Number one, don't eat the seed. Number two, plant a money tree seed. Number three, expect a harvest. This is not complicated stuff. But I'm telling you, the first one is the most important thing. Don't eat the seed. Did you catch what the verse said? It's, he, he said this. He said, he gives seed to the sower and bread for food. He does two things. God is going to supply your bread. He's going to supply your food. But he's also going to apply, uh, supply for you seed for the sower. And the, what's incumbent upon us is that we're able to distinguish between bread and seed. And here's what we do so often in life. We think that everything that God has blessed us with is food and we eat it and we consume it. And one of the big mistakes people make in our culture and many cultures is they eat the seed. Now I want to tell you a story about this, it's kind of a tragic story, but it's true. So we have some missionaries in South Sudan, Frank and Rachel, they're amazing people, they're Canadians, and they went there to minister to the people on the, on the border, the refugees actually, and what happened, South Sudan became an independent country, but ever since that happened, they've been in civil war and conflict, and most of the people, or at least many of the people, are actually starving. There's just huge malnutrition. Probably about four million people were on the verge of starvation before the Ukraine war. But after the Ukraine war, what happened was the supply of wheat from Europe cut off to uh, much of Africa. Price went up, supplies went down, and that number is now eight million people who don't have enough to eat in South Sudan alone. And so what uh, Frank and Rachel did when they went there about five years ago is that they wanted to help these people to grow their own food. And so what they did was they went to the local tribal chiefs and the tribal chiefs actually gave them land for the refugees to plant small plots of land. So here's a picture. They're just out there in these small plots of land and they're, they're growing crops and they were given seeds and they were given the tools and taught how to water them. And, and if, if you can get these people self-sufficient where they're growing their own food, then they're in business, right? But here's what happened. Because of this, this situation that I talked about, about not there being enough food, what happened was the seed grain came in and some of them ate the seed. Now I want you to look at this bag, you probably won't be able to read it, but it says right on it, seed grain, do not eat, not for human consumption, seed treated, it's treated with some fungicide. But let me ask you a question. If you're starving to death and you have no choice, what are you gonna do? And what they have done is they have eaten the seed and if you eat your seed, you have nothing to plant. Are you gonna get a crop? No, you're not. 
Now, before you start judging these people, and we're certainly not going to do that, we need to point the finger back at ourselves because here we are in North America. We've got more abundance than you can shake a stick at, and yet we have people consuming their seed. I think we're one of the most consumeristic uh, cultures that ever existed throughout human history. We have more and more and more, and we still don't have enough. And we want more and we want more, and people just continue to consume their seed, and they don't even realize what they're doing. According to Revenue Canada, CRA, only 20% of Canadians actually give charitable donations every year. 20%. You know what that tells me? That means that 80% of the people are consuming their seed. And I know what people tell me. They always tell me this, and in my culture, I don't believe it. They always say, Pastor Mark, you don't understand. I can't afford to give. You know what I answer them? You know what my answer is to that? I bet you do. You can't afford not to give. Boy, I must have said that before because you all know that. You can't afford not to give. And I think this is a huge mistake where we think that we can just continue to consume and never plant a seed. And as a result, what happens is we never grow our money tree. You know, I, uh, I learned this really early or taught my kids about this really, really early. When they were growing up, I always told them that, you know, the first 10% belongs to God. That is your tithe, that belongs to you. And when they were little, it was no big deal because they get a dollar and they give 10 cents in the offering when they went to kids' church, and it was no big deal. But I remember when my son got his first job and he got his first decent, proper paycheck, it was $1,000 or so. And he said, Pop, $100 is a lot of money for a guy my age. I don't know if I wanna be giving a whole $100. He says, maybe someday, when I have a lot of money, then I'll give. I say, you know what? That's what everybody says. But let me ask you a question. If one day you're making $100,000 and you've never given before in your life, do you think you're going to be able to part with $10,000? The answer is no. You won't be able to do it. If you, can't, if you can't give when you've got very little, there's no way you're going to do it when you have a lot. And I'll tell you a little secret. The wealthiest people in the churches around the world are oftentimes the poorest givers, percentage-wise. And it's the people who are just struggling by every day. They're the ones who understand it, and they're actually the ones who end up supporting the church. And I learned this lesson. Like, I've been a tither virtually my whole life. And I learned it at a very young age. And I'll tell you this story, because I think it'll help you. So I'm about 10 years old, and my grandmother, who was getting elderly, couldn't take care of herself anymore, so they had a housekeeper that came and lived in with her, a live-in housekeeper, and she took care of her, and she was this devout Christian lady. Uh, I'll never forget, her name was Edna. I always thought that was a strange name. I thought her parents couldn't decide between Edward and Nancy. They called her Edna. And, uh, you know, always the smart aleck, right? And so, anyway, what happened was in the middle of the day, about 4 o'clock in the afternoon on a, sun, a Sunday, or it wasn't a Sunday, whatever, doesn't matter what day it is. Uh, but anyway, they had a break-in. In, in the middle of the day. And uh, so then my dad got the phone call. And we rushed down there, and I wanted to go with them. I, I mean, 10 years old, you want to go to a crime scene and check it all out. So we get down there, and uh, they had left the door open because it was back, way back when. People didn't lock their doors. And the guy just came in and went through the house and stole a bunch of stuff. And Edna was really upset because the thief had come into her bedroom, went into the top drawer of her dresser, and stole her tithe money. Now, I didn't know what tithe money was. I said, what do you mean tithe money? And she says, well, when your grandmother pays me every month, I take 10% of that, and I put it in an envelope, and I write tithe on it, and I put it in the drawer, and when I go to church on Sunday, I give it to God, 
because it's not mine. It belongs to God. And she says, I'm so upset because the thief stole the tithe money. To which I said, well, why is that your problem? That sounds like God's problem if it's his money. <laughs> I was a smart aleck even then, I'm telling you. So, so anyway, she says, no, no, you don't understand. This is so important for me to do this. And I watched her do it. She opened her wallet. She took out more money and stuck it in that envelope. And she said, I will not withhold God what belongs to God. And you know, it's funny how when you, you probably have things like this in your life, like some little incident that happened in your life that you never left your brain. This got lodged in my brain, it got stuck there. This made such an impact on me. I remember that story like it happened yesterday. So that very same year, uh, I'm still 10 years old, so uh, what happened was my dad added onto our house. And the reason was, is my mother just kept on having babies. She was on number seven. And uh, so the house wasn't big enough, so my dad added onto the house. And when they added these two bedrooms onto our house and done this work, the contractor led, left this big pile of dirt in the backyard. I don't know why, but it was a big pile of dirt. So my dad comes to me and he says, Mark, would you like to make some money? And I said, yeah, I'd love to make some money. He says, see that big pile of dirt in the backyard? I want you to take a shovel and a wheelbarrow, and I want you to move all of it and put it around the whole house and slope it away from the house. That's what we want to do with it. And I said, how much do I get paid? He says, I'll pay you 25 cents an hour. <laughs> you know, I'm 10. He's probably still overpaying me. So I thought, how hard could it be? A big 10-foot mound of Red River gumbo. Are you kidding? And so there was this little skinny 10-year-old with a shovel and a wheelbarrow. And I went out every day after school from 4 to 6 till we had supper. I put in two hours every night. And I went out there. And I'm sitting there going like this, these little skinny spindly arms. And I'm shoveling this dirt. But I was determined because I was getting paid 25 cents an hour. Did I mention the wage? And so I did it for a whole month. I moved that whole pile of dirt. My dad was so proud of me, he really was. I don't know why he didn't hire somebody to do it in an hour, but anyway, that, that's what he did. And so anyway, at the end of the month, I submitted my hours, I'd worked 40 hours, and my dad paid me $10, 10 $1 bills. I'd never had so much money in my life, $10. And he paid me on a Saturday, and the next day we were going to church, and all I could think about was Edna. And all I could think about was how Edna gave 10%. And I thought to myself, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to tithe for the very first time. I'd never even heard of it. No one had ever told me about tithing. So I took that $1 bill, and we went down to church. And in those days, they passed the bucket down the aisles like that. And uh, you know what? I was just like the Pharisees. I wanted everybody to see this happen. <laughs> and I held up that dollar bill, and I waved it like this. It was like, this ain't no chump change, people. I'm putting in a bill. <laughs> people literally threw in change in those days. And I'm waving this bill around and making a little bit of a thing about it and put it in the basket, <laughs> and I just felt so proud. I thought that was probably the greatest moment in humanitarianism there ever was. So I went home, and my dad was sitting there reading the paper. He never went to church, ever. Even though he gave to the church, he was one of the biggest supporters of the church, never went. Chris, you know, we went on funerals and weddings, that was it. So anyway, I said, all proud of myself, I said, so dad, guess how much money I put in the offering from the money I made yesterday? 
He looked up the paper, he says, you put in the whole thing, didn't you? <laughs> I said, no, no, I put in a dollar. I was so mad at him. I thought, you just ruined that for me. I was all impressed that I'd put in 10%, and you expect me, are you kidding? Do you have any idea how hard I worked? I got all, in, all incensed about this. But I'll tell you what, I learned this principle early on that you could give 10% and you would be able to live on the 90% better than the 100% before. Now let me ask you the question, how many of those of you that figured this out have figured out it in fact works, you can live on 90% now better than you could before on 100? Let me see your hands, how many have figured this out? Why are all these hands going up? I'll tell you why, there's a promise in Malachi 3 that tells us how this works. So this is what God says, Malachi 3. He says, will a man rob God? And you will say, and how have we robbed God? And he says, in tithes and offerings. And you are cursed with a curse. Therefore, bring the whole tithes and offerings into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And prove me now in this, that I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon you, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. Boy, that's a pretty bold promise. And he starts by saying that when we withhold the 10%, when we withhold the tithe, we're actually robbing from him because he claims it. He says it belongs to him. And then he says, you're cursed with a curse. You say, are you telling me God's cursing me? No, you're cursing yourself. And he says he'll open up the winds of heaven. It's the only place in all scripture where he says you can test him. He says, prove me now, test me now in this. If you will try this, if you will do this, which many people have, and they found out it's true, they can live better on 90 than they could on 100. And he says, if you test me on this, I will prove it to you, and I'm gonna do two things. I'm gonna open up the windows of heaven, I'm gonna pour out a blessing on you, you won't have room to receive it. And he says, secondly, I'm gonna rebuke the devourer for your sake. You know what, agricultural community, they all knew what the devourer was. These people would plant these crops. The crops might even look be really good. And then what happens is they have an insect infestation. They have disease or they have fungus or they have vermin come in and destroy it or a wind or hail or whatever. You can lose a crop like that. And people who are farmers know what I'm talking about. All of a sudden the devourer comes in and the crop is gone and he says this. He says, prove me now. I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. We say, Pastor Mark, well, I'm not a farmer. What's the devourer in my life? <laughs> Are you kidding me? The you don't know what the devourer is? How about the washing machine breaks down, the dishwasher breaks down, the fridge breaks down, the car breaks down, the hot water tank breaks down. That's my least favorite, the hot water tank. I mean, if the stove goes, so I have to buy a new stove, I'll go get a nice stainless steel, shiny stove, and I can enjoy it every single day. The hot water tank goes. Who wants a new hot water tank? I bet you a bunch of you don't even know where your hot water tank is. It's somewhere down in the basement. It makes hot water. That's what it does. You don't look at it. I bet you don't even know what color it is. We don't go down there and look at it. Oh, I love you. You give me those nice showers in the morning. No, nobody cares about their hot water tank until it stops working. And then when it stops working, you know how much it does it cost you? It's going to cost you $1,000. You're going to pay some dude $1,000. It's a lot of money, $1,000. And you're gonna pay him $1,000, and then you know what? The hot water tank's gonna look just like the old one. And you know what it's gonna do? Produce hot water. And you're gonna go, that was the least fun I've ever had for $1,000. I hate the devourer. Let me tell you a story, true story. Last time I told this story, 
It was Sunday morning, told this story about you know, the hot water tank, bullying and costing $1,000. I went home that Sunday afternoon and my hot water tank had exploded. And my basement was flooded and it was shooting water all over the place. And I stood there in complete disbelief. And I thought, how can this be? I gave this illustration this morning and now my hot water tank is all over the floor in my basement. And then I said to my son, the engineer slash unhelpful, and I said to him, I said, Jordan, what are the chances of this happening the very day I tell this story? He said, well, actually the chances are pretty good. If, if the hot water tank was over 10 years old, it was due to be replaced, and because you always tell that same story in church, it was just a matter of time before it blew on the same day you told that story. So the chances were pretty good. You are so unhelpful. Who asked you? <laughs> but you get the picture here, people, is that God says that he will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. You won't have room to receive it. It's the most important thing you can do. I'm telling you, if you can get a hold of this simple, simple concept of tithing, it'll revolutionize your life. You've got to stop eating your seed. So there's a story about these two guys. They're out on a sailing trip. They get, encounter a storm. They ended up on a deserted island. They're, they're stuck. There's no food. There's no water. The one guy's completely panicking. He's going, we're going to die. We're going to die. The other guy's leaning up against a tree. He said, don't worry about it. We're good. He said, how can you say that? He said, I know we're good. I make $100,000 a month. He says, how's your money? How's your $100,000 a month going to help us here? He says, because I tithe $10,000 every month, trust me, my pastor will find us. <laughs> so the first thing, most important thing is simply this, don't eat the seed. But the second thing is, if you're going to grow a money tree, what kind of seed do you need to sow? <laughs> you have to sow money. He says he gives seed to the sower and he will multiply the seed you have sown. You know, it doesn't matter what kind of seed you sow, it's going to multiply whatever you sow. Paul told us that. He said, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Genesis tells us that every seed produces after its own kind. So simple thing, like in, in practical terms. If you were to sow compliments to other people, what are you going to reap back? Compl people will compliment you back. You, you can hardly give someone a compliment before they'll compliment you back. If you sow smiles, and sowing a smile, what do you reap back? You reap, reap smiles. If you sow mercy, what do you receive back? Yeah, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. If you judge people, what are you going to get back? Judgment. Judge not lest you be judged. So he says, whatever you sow, that you're going to reap. So if you want to grow a money tree, you have to plant money seeds. Is this too complicated or too simple? Probably too simple. I've told you this story before, but I got to tell it again. So a number of years ago, my mom's always had a bit of a brown thumb, uh, but she could grow impatience. How many of you know the flower impatience? And my mother is pretty good at growing those, and they're beautiful and pretty. And so she would always grow them. Every spring, she would start them indoors. And uh, so one year, she's getting the pots ready. Normally, she'd do vermiculite and then soil and then plant the seeds and, and put them in the window. And she didn't have any vermiculite. So what she did was she went and thought she had this great idea. And she just went and some popped some popcorn. 
So she popped the popcorn, put the popcorn, pop popcorn in the bottom of the, the, the uh, uh, pot, and then the soil, and then the seed. And about two weeks later, she phones me up and says, Mark, something really wrong with my impatience. Can you come and have a look at them? There's something growing up in the midst of the impatience. And so I went over there, and I'm looking at them. Remember, I'm an egg guy. And I'm looking at them, and I said, I don't know. This doesn't seem possible, but it looks like corn to me. I, I think you're growing corn. And she said, how could I be growing corn? I said, well, tell me what you did. She says, well, I started by popping some popcorn. Well, clearly, she didn't use Orville Redenbacher's where it all pops, because some didn't pop, and she had corn coming up in her impatience. The moral of the story is, if you plant corn, you're going to reap corn. And so if you're going to plant, um, if you're going to grow a money tree, you've got to plant money seeds. I know people say, well, you know, I want to give my time instead. Well, go ahead. You'll reap time. But if you want to grow a money tree, you've got to plant money. You're getting this, right? So last night, we had this couple in the church that came up to me and told me this great story. And they said, you know, uh, our daughter, when she was 18 years old, we asked her what she wanted for Christmas. She said money. That's all she wanted was money. So what we did was we bought one of those little Christmas trees about this big, and we went and we folded, pleated a bunch of bills, and we hung them from the tree in different denominations, ones and fives and a couple of tens. And our daughter came down, and she was so excited. Best Christmas present she was ever had was a money tree. Well, you got to love teenagers, right? I mean, they're the worst. Don't ever be a teenager. And so, so anyway, she loved it. So she harvested the money and she was super happy. Now, a month later, she hadn't put the tree away. It was her tree. She hadn't put it away. And so uh, her mom said to her, Sarah, when are you going to put the tree away? She said, well, I have a birthday coming up. I'm hoping it's going to bloom again. <laughs> <laughs> So if you want to, if you want to grow a money tree, you're going to have to plant money. And you see, we're not always good at this. See, some of us have a hard time giving up money. It's one of the things we can't quite let, manage to let go. And there's three kinds of givers in this world. I'll tell you who they are. You decide who you are. There's flints, there's lemons, and there's honeycomb. And you know how the flint works? You know how you get money out of the flint? You hit it with a hammer. But you don't get money. You get sparks and chips is all you get. And then there's the lemon. You know how you get money out of the lemon? You squeeze the life out of it. That's how you get money out of a lemon. And then there's the honeycomb. You know what the honeycomb does? It just overflows because it has a, a, an essence of generosity. And it just continues to overflow and overflow and overflow. And one of my best stories about this is about the bartender. And uh, he was the strongest guy in town, and he had this running bet that he could squeeze a le lemon. And after he was done with that lemon, he would give anybody $1,000 if they could squeeze just one more drop out of that lemon. No one was ever able to do it. He never gave up $1,000 until one day there was a little bespeckled man came in, and he said, I'll take the challenge. And so he squeezed the lemon, the bartender, until there was nothing coming out of it, and he handed the lemon to this little man. And this little man with his skinny little arms, he took that lemon and he squeezed it, and drip, 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 six more drips came out of the lemon. The bartender was amazed and said, no one's ever been able to do that. And he paid the man $1,000. And he said, that should help. By the way, what do you do for a living? He said, I'm an auditor for the CRA. <laughs> so the first thing, if you're going to grow a money tree, the first thing is don't eat the seed. 
Number two, if you're gonna grow a money tree, you gotta plant a money seed. And the last and the final thing, and I'll just crash land this, is you gotta expect a harvest. There is a harvest coming. You've gotta believe that when you sow that seed, a harvest will come. And here's how Jesus said it, it's Luke chapter six. And he said, give and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. Don't you love that picture? When you start to grow that money tree, when you start to plant that seed, he starts giving to you a good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over like the honeycomb. So let me illustrate it. I'm gonna leave this mental picture for you. So I mentioned I was a farmer, farmed for many years, and one of the crops I grew was sunflower seeds. And the thing about sunflower seeds is you got paid by the pound, but they don't weigh very much, they're very bulky. And when we had to take them to market, I wanted to make sure that the truck was completely full with every amount of sunflowers we could get on it as possible. And uh, so I said to my hired man, here's what I want you to do. I want to make sure that when you were filling that truck, I want you up there with a shovel. I want you shoveling into the corners and I want you stomping it down. I want you pressing it down. And then I want you to do is I want you to drive around the yard a couple of times and shake the box down, rumbling around, and then come back and keep filling it like that. That's what I want you to do. So I watched as he did that and I saw him stomping it and shoveling it. And then I saw him driving around the yard with the truck and then he was back on the auger and he was on one side where the auger was and I was on the other side and he was running those sunflowers into the box and then what happened was on my side of the box the truck the sunflowers were overflowing over the edge and I ran over there and I said Larry Larry stop and then I realized something what I was doing and what I was getting was good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And that's the picture you need to remember, that God wants to do that to you. Open up the windows of heaven, pour out a blessing. You don't have room to receive it. And that's how you grow a money tree. Let's stand together, shall we? All right, we're going to take a moment and switch gears. I want to ask you all to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment, if you would. Because I know in a room this size, there are people that have never invited Jesus into their life to be their Lord and Savior. And I know some of you are saying, what's that got to do with seeds? Actually, everything. Do you know Jesus described his life as a seed? And he told this story in John. He said, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it brings forth fruit. And that's exactly what he did. He was talking about himself. He was talking about the death and the resurrection. And because he sowed his life, because he gave of his life, because he sowed that seed, he did it so that you could have eternal life. He gave his life so that you might have life and it would be multiplied. And if you're in this room and you've never invited Christ into your life as your Lord and Savior, or maybe you knew him in the past and you've fallen away, I'm talking to you. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. If you'd like to make that decision today to be a follower of Christ and all the blessings that come with that, I want you to slip your hand up. And wherever you are, nobody's looking around. It's between you, me, and Jesus. Just take a moment. Thank you. A couple of hands in the room. Anybody else want to join these folks? All right. Great. Wonderful. Super. You can, you can all put your hands down. Now, we're going to do a two-fold prayer here. We're all going to pray together. But I'm going to ask that and lead you in a prayer that will invite God to help us in what I've talked about today. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the cross that you gave your life 
and laid it down like a seed so that I might have eternal life. And you rose from the dead and you created this tree of life that we can all be part of. And today I have eternal life because of the price you paid. And I thank you for your resurrection. I thank you that you are my Lord. And Father, help me with what we heard today to be someone who not only has all sufficiency in all things, but has an abundance for every good work. Lord, teach me how to give. Teach me how to tithe. Teach me how to be generous. Teach me how to open my heart and scatter seeds abroad. Lord, teach me to grow a money tree so that I have an abundance for every good work. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give Jesus a shout, shall we?